Welcome back to the British Touring Car Podcast. I know you've already heard from us once this week, and we will be back again, um, but we thought we'd take you through the BTCC for beginners. Now, whether you've been listening to or watching the BTCC for 10, 20, 30 years, or whether you're brand new to the sport, we thought we'd cover everything that you need to know um, to get you into it, really. Absolutely, the BTCC continues to grow, the coverage continues to attract new people in and it is the uh, UK's premier tin top motorsport uh, and as such it's also quite complicated at times to try mm. and, as any sport, has its own complicated rules. We're not going to go into the nitty gritty detailed technicalities of the sport because life's too short but we thought it would be a good idea as Sam just said there to give an overview of what is the British Touring Cars and Hopefully this guide will help you understand the sport this year. As you heard, we're going to take you through 10 different teams. We're going to be covering points and championships, the basic rules of the sport, flags that might be used, the hybrid system, which is going to be brand new for this season, uh, roles of marshals and safety car, the qualifying and race day formats, any penalties that may be handed out, tracks that they go to, the support and the races, and of course the drivers and teams that are competing. Now, to get us all started off, we need to know who is there and who they're racing for. So we'll take a look at the drivers and teams. So looking into the drivers and teams then, there are a couple of differences um, between teams that compete and the championships that they compete in. Now, there are manufacturer entries, which are backed by big car brands we all know and love across the UK. And there are also independent entries, which are, are backed mainly by sponsors and may, sometimes even the drivers that are in those teams. So we'll start off with the big ones. We'll look at the manufacturers first. And top of the list, we've got Ford Focus ST, which is a manufacturer run by Napa Racing, um, under the banner of Motorbase and their drivers are their drivers are three time champion Ash Sutton and should have been one time champion Dan Camish who is a double Porsche Carrera Great Britain Cup winner so this is quite a strong racing outfit and they'll be running cars in a blue and orange livery in Ford Focus's STs that's one side of the garage yeah and then the other side of the garage run by Apex Racing with Be- Beavis and Beavis Morgan, sorry, um, they are also a manufacturer entry because they are running the Ford as well, um, and their drivers are. Uh, they are Osborne, who is a fairly new face to the paddock. This is his third full season in the touring cars, I believe. Third. Yep. yep. And race winner Ollie Jackson, who's been in the motor base setup for a while now. Now, last year, and I believe the same rules apply, is that to try and keep the manufacturer championship fair, each team. With more than one, with more than two drivers in a particular manufacturer team, elects two drivers to count towards manufacturer points at the start of the weekend. Yeah. So you would anticipate that 
at the motorbase team running the uh, Ford Focus, it will more often than not be Sutton and Camish that are elected to win the points because those are the two drivers that are expected to be running near the uh, front of the field. And then, of course, the points are then did, uh, dished out in terms of where they finish. So even if Sutton finishes seventh in the race, that might be second in the manufacturer class, and that yes. would then get the points for second in the manufacturer uh, title constructors. And in terms of livery, Osborne and Jackson are running a Ford Focus in a red, white and black livery. Yeah, and the Napa Racing is in blue and yellow. Moving on now to Team BMW, or uh, yeah, Team BMW. There is also Rocket MB Motorsport that works with them. They are in the manufacturers as well. Now these, this team is running three cars, two of which are in a normal sort of like BMW blue and w- blue and red with mainly white livery um, and they are driven by uh, three time cha- four time champion sorry th- <laughs> four time champion Colin Turkington uh, and Stephen Jelly who has been in and around WSR racing who are effectively the engineering side of team BMW uh, he's been in and around the sport and WSR racing for a very long time uh, and then on the rocket side of things, which is a black livery with the uh, rocket logos across it, is Jake Hill, who has been in the series longer than I most people probably realise. Uh, race winner and possible title contender. Yeah, he's certainly looking strong going into the season. And they're running BMW 3 Series cars. Yes, they are. So they're the saloon ones. Yes. Um, moving across now to Toyota, another manufacturer in the series running the Corolla GR Sport. And they will be um, sponsored by the main Toyota... Um, racing arm. Yeah, racing arm of the team, which is Toyota Gazoo Racing. And their drivers are... Uh, Rory Butcher, multiple race winner uh, and title contender in 2020. And former independent champion. And former independent champion, thank you very much. And Ricky Collard, son of famous touring car legend Rob Collard, a multiple race winner. His father, he enters the series for his first full season, having been part of the setup before standing in. Yep. And they'll be racing cars that are... Predominantly white, but with flashes of black and red, which are the Gazoo Racing colours. Yep. Uh, another manufacturer for this season going ahead um, is the Hyundai i30N, which will be run by Bristol Street Motors with AccelerateTradePriceCars.com. Now, I know that's a bit of a tongue twister, but there are um, four cars in this team, almost split into two. So on one side of it, you have two drivers in... Tom Chilton and Tom Ingram, the double Tom show. Tom Ingram and Tom Chilton, multiple race winners and have both challenged for titles in the series. Chilton has been in it now on and off for some 15 years. Yeah. Outside outside Plato, who we'll get onto later, he must be the most experienced in the championship. Or Shedden. Yeah. It's close. It's close. Um... But yeah, and then on the other side of the garage, we we have the other arm of the team. And as we've said before, we're looking at probably Tom Ingram and Tom Chilton to be scoring these manufacturer points for this team for the weekends. Yep, on the other side of the garage, we've got Jack Butel and we've got uh, Dan Lloyd, who is a race winner. And all four cars have a similar livery. They're running a predominantly white, uh, well, I suppose a white with red and blue uh, trim, effectively. Yep. Um, and the final manufacturer, um, I believe, yes, final manufacturer for the series is Honda, 
um, where they'll be running the Honda Civic Type R, the saloon car, um, and that is with Halfords Racing with Cataclean. Is it a saloon? It's almost a coupe, mm, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a bit of an in-between car. Yeah. Are they manufacture again this yes, year? Yes, they? they are. Oh, okay. Um, and their drivers are? Uh, multiple race winner and three-time champion, Gordon Shen. Was he a two-time? Three. Thank you. Good for the, you know, yeah. the research. And... Uh, Last year's Jack Sears champion by a long way uh, and race winner now, Dan Robottom, who is only in his third full season. Yes. Yes. Yep, certainly is. Um, Now, moving on to the independent entries now. Now, these are the teams that are uh, obviously not manufacturer-backed, so they have to rely a lot more on on sponsorships and maybe the drivers that drive for them bring a, a substantial amount of money with them. Um, and the first one that we're going to look into is Rich Energy uh, BTC Racing, who are running three Honda Civic Type R's for the season ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Jason Plato, double uh, British Touring Car Champion and near 100 race winner. If there's a stat, he's probably top of it. That's yep. uh, <laughs> yeah, um, fair to say. He's joined by Josh Cook, multiple race winner and title challenger. And then running under the with the PSHE um, sponsorship, Jade Edwards for her second full season in the British Touring Cars. Uh, Cook and Plato's livery is black with gold and blue trim. And uh, Edwards is black with pink trim. Yep, certainly is. Moving on to the next team now is Laser Tools Racing, who will be running last year's championship car, Mm -hmm. which was the championship winning car, should I say. For both driver, independent and teams and independent teams. Pretty much took home everything, didn't didn't they? they? Really, yeah. Um, Which is the Infinity Q50. Um, As I said, they will also be an independent team. Yep, they're uh, piloted by Rick Parfit, who comes along with extra sponsorship in the form of... Upton Steel with Euro Car Parts Racing. Thank you. And uh, Moffat and series debutant Patterson. Uh, Moffat is a race winner uh, and a podium scorer, uh, while still being fairly young, is a fairly exciting talent on the grid. Uh, And their car is white with blue, a metallic blue trim. And a Scottish flag on the top. Yep, and Carfits um, is crazy neon colours. If you like loud liveries, I think he, it's great. You've got pinks, yellows, and blues. He, he's the driver you're certainly not going to miss this season. No, that car is. If, if ever a night race, he wouldn't need to put on <laughs> his lights. But yep. yeah, yeah. Um, so they run partially under the Team Hard banner, but the other side of the Team Hard garage are running Cupra Leons, mm-hmm. um, and one side. So there are four cars in this team. One side of it is run by Auto Bright Direct with Journey Hero. Um, and then the other side is run with Yazoo with Safu.com Racing, which is a bit of a tongue twister. Yeah, so there's a little bit, at the time of recording, there's a little bit of ambiguity about this. So we'll go with what we know. Bobby Thompson is racing the Auto Bright with Journey um, Racing. Uh, and Jack Goff is down to also race Autobright with Journey Hero Racing. However, there are questions over whether Goff will be in the championship or not, but at time recording, he's listed. And then the Yuzu side that Sam mentioned is piloted by Aaron Taylor-Smith and Nick Hamilton. Jack Goff and Aaron Taylor-Smith are both race winners. 
Nick Hamilton is a fairly regular driver now in the series. This will be his third or fourth season. And yes, he is brother to Lewis Hamilton, yep. if you're into your racing. And Jack Goff is a multiple race winner him, his, himself. And uh, Bobby Thompson has raced in various disciplines uh, and perhaps should have been the Jack Sears champion in 2020. 2020. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately had to sit out the rest of the season after suffering a accident at Croft. Yes, moving on to the next team now. Uh, we have Car Gods with Sicily Motorsport. They are running two BMW 330e M Sports um, and they are driven by uh, Newbie on the Grid Gamble, who has history in the Porsche Carrera Cup. And Ginettas. And Ginettas. And multiple race winner Adam Morgan, who's also been in the touring cars for a lot longer than you perhaps given credit for. Uh, yeah, he's a multiple race winner, and their car, as you say, is a BMW, which is matte black with silver and purple trim. Yes, and finally, I do believe we also have Castor Power, Power Max Racing, who will be who are two entrants running both Vauxhall Astras. Yep, and you've got fan favourite Michael Kreese, uh, who is the 2020 Jack Sears champion. Yep. Uh, and he's also accompanied by series debutante Ash Hand, who has competed in Clio Cup racing, uh, perhaps most famously battling Ash Sutton for the title. Their car is mainly blue and yellow, uh, with splashes of and white, black and white. Uh, yeah, all, all the colours. <laughs> yeah, but predominantly yellow yeah. and blue, uh, and obviously carry the Powermaxed uh, logos fairly predominantly across them. Yes, so there will be some of these drivers who are eligible for another trophy as well, which is called the Jack Sears, which we will move on to next. So the main championship is the Drivers' Championship, and this is the overall Drivers' Championship. So everybody who enters a round of the touring cars is eligible to score points within the Drivers' Championship. Pretty simple, really. Whoever tops the championship at the end of the year is the winner. Uh, the points are given out on places 1st to 15. Uh, a race win is worth? A race win is worth 20 points. Um, you will also be looking to get a point for pole position for the first round of the weekend. Yep. Um, you can also gain another point for uh, fastest lap. And you will also gain a point if you lead a lap. And those are capped at one point each. So if you set 20 fastest laps, you don't get 20 points. You, the overall fastest lap holder for a round has a point. And if you lead a race, if you lead the race more than one lap, you only get one point. So you, you could have 20 laps and 20 different drivers lead a lap and all 20 drivers would score an extra point. So as Sam said, a race is worth 20 points. Uh, second, 17. Third, 15. Fourth, 13. Fifth place scores you 11 points, and then sixth down to 15th is 10 points down to one on a sliding scale. Yeah, and um, that point system is used not just for the Drivers' Championship, but also for the other championships that will be taking place in the same race at the same time. So we're looking at a Manufacturers' Championship, a Teams' Championship, and then we've got separate championships for the independent drivers, independent teams, and also Jack Sears' trophy. So an independent driver is a driver who does not race for a manufacturer or constructor. Uh, an independent team is a team that is not a manufacturer or constructor. Uh, and then the Jack Sears trophy is any driver who has not scored a BTCC podium before. 
Yes. Any driver who has is illegible. Any driver who has not goes into the race. And then they are scored. The highest scorer in that class takes the win. So they may finish 19th on track. But if first they're ahead the of the rest of them, then they get the most points. points. They're declared the Jack Sears winner for that round. And they'd score the maximum of 20 points. Now, for the season ahead, we have... Uh, several drivers in the Jack Sears. We have Dexter Patterson, mm-hmm. Bobby Thompson, Nick Hamilton, George Gamble, Rick Parfit, Sam Osborne, Jack Boutel, Ash Hand, and Jade Edwards. Yep, I believe that is the comprehensive list. Yep. Um, and so they will all be sort of like fighting it out amongst each other, trying to get the best race finishes. Um, and then across the weekend, you will get a Jack Sears winner, and that is the driver that has collated the most points across that weekend. Absolutely. And the manufacturers and independent drivers, independent teams, works in the same style. So you may finish fourth on the road, but be the first of the independent drivers, and therefore you take the full uh, race points in terms of the independent drivers' award as if you'd won the race, because it basically discounts those who aren't eligible for point scoring. Yes, that's correct. Now, it's very complicated. <laughs> yeah. Now, on the Saturday, there is also a qualifying award. This was introduced last season. Mm-hmm. It's called the Goodyear Wingfoot Award, which is based on the qualifying results. The season before last season. 2020 it came in. I do apologise. Because it coincided with the quick fit era. <laughs> and um, th- these are points that are awarded just for the qualifying on the Saturday, and they are awarded in the same vein that the points are awarded for a um, a race finish. So if you f- were to finish on pole for the race on Sunday, uh, you would score 20 points, all the way down to 15th, which you would score one point. In my opinion, it's the most pointless trophy in motorsport. But yes, we used to, we used to have different awards, such as... Um, the Forever Forward Award. Forever Forward Award, which is where you'd um, get points for each overtake that you make throughout that race weekend, which I think was a really nice system as well. Because even if you had a really bad Saturday, you could still get awards oh, for that. I think it rewarded racing. But we're not here to give opinion, we're here to give to give facts. So I apologise for that, we're here to give the facts. So that's the championships uh, sort of gone through. So to score points, you must race. And the tr- therefore, you must go to racing tracks. And the touring car... Uh, season has 10 race weekends, so 10 tracks are visited. There are three rounds at each track, along with a qualifying session on the Saturday. Yep. Um, there are also two practice sa- sessions which happen on the Saturday before qualifying. And this is normally to get your car best set up in in the best way for the weekend ahead. Before the weather changes for the qualifying, all yes. becomes useless. So, uh, touring cars, I say, visits 10 tracks. So this year we're going to Donington Park. Brands Hatch Indy Layout, Thruxton, Autumn Park, Croft, Knock Hill, Snetterton 300 uh, configuration, Thruxton again, Silverstone National, and finishing at Brands Hatch Grand Prix configuration. Yeah. Uh, uh, three rounds at each track, as you said. The the days or system, the timetable doesn't change in terms of its three races, a qualifying and two uh, sessions practice sessions every day so yeah that that doesn't change just the track changes so as said btc has three rounds per event and of course you have to set up the grid for each event so race one is always set by qualifying on the saturday now because sport is complicated this is usually a single session but the british touring cars has been experimenting with a top 10 shootout similar to q1 and f1 
So start off with traditional quali. Simply, the fastest time is decided is the order in which you'll start the race on the Saturday, on the Sunday. Half hour session. Whoever tops the times at the end of that session is declared the pole sitter, uh, and then the rest of the grid is formed in the same way. Uh, times are subject to being deleted if track limits are infringed, and the top three cars are also tested for ride height and weight when they come into the pit lane and risk disqualification should they fall foul of the rules, which we've seen a couple of times in the last few seasons. Uh, for the two-part quality uh, system, qualifying part one follows the traditional route as mentioned above, with the quickest ten going into a shootout. The times for part one are then deleted for the cars in the shootout, and they have ten minutes to set the fastest time that they can do. So they can't rely on what they set in the first part of the quality, they've effectively got no time on the board, so they have to go out and set a fastest time all over again. If a driver causes a red flag in qualification, they have their best time deleted and can compete no further in the session, which we saw last year cause a little bit of problems with Tom Chilton, who shouldn't, who slowed and they red flagged it. He probably was okay to carry on. Yep. But that is the rule. Uh, race two is then decided in the order in which race one ends, and they're just simply line up the way that the race one finishes. And then race three is decided by a partial reverse grid. Places six from twelve are randomly drawn and the number that comes out is the number by which the grid is reversed. Uh, this season there'll be no ballast so I won't bother going into detail about how that used to work because it's not relevant this year. <clears throat> yeah this season they'll be looking to use a different system that involves uh, the hybrid boost um, which we'll come on to more about when we talk to you about the hybrid system that will be in force this season. So yeah qualifying you'd think is quite simple but can be quite complicated. We yeah. are expected to have top 10 shootouts this year at some of the tracks. Sneston is often a obvious place to do it. Yeah, yeah, it, it can be quite tricky in a normal qualifying session to actually find space on track. Mm. If you think about it, some of the circuits which we go to are quite short, Knock Hill being, I believe, the shortest, if not that, Brands Indy. And you can get quite a lot of traffic when you're trying to set a quick lap. Not everyone is going to be on the same strategy and trying to set quick laps at the same time. So it's all about finding that clear piece of track to try and get your fastest time in. I think that's part part of a problem is that 30 minutes is such a long time that you can almost treat 20 minutes as a test session. Yes. Yeah. But, but you, that is how it's done at the minute. Sometimes you need to get that lap in early. There could be changes in the weather or anything yep. like that, um, which can really swap the grids around from what we would be expecting. And a red flag occurs in quality more often than you think. Yes, it does. If someone makes a mistake and they go off into one of the many gravel traps that surround the circuits, then it's unlikely that they're going to pull themselves out. Therefore, the session has to be stopped so that they can be safely removed. Absolutely. And the role of removing them falls to the marshals, which we'll come to next. So marshals are dotted around the circuit at what we call marshal posts. Uh, they are volunteers and are often referred to as the Orange Army. So if you hear that phrase throughout the season, you'll know it's referring to the marshal community. Uh, their presence is needed for racing to go ahead, so now seems as good a chance as any to put on record our sincere thanks to them for doing what they do. Now marshals have a few roles. Firstly, they'll wave uh, flags, which Sam will come to in a moment, uh, which will inform the drivers of any dangers on the track, track issues or penalties. Uh, they're also effectively the first responders to a crash or retirement, as chances are incidents will occur close to a marshal outpost. They will uh, enter the track, check on the driver, uh, direct the driver to safety if they're able to get out of the vehicle, uh, help clear the track and the aids of any vehicle recovery operation, or push the stricken vehicle to safety, depending on the nature of the uh, incident. 
the safety car is also part of the system that keeps the motorsport safe and this is deployed often in the BTCC uh, and its job is to lead the field at a safe speed to allow the marshals to clear the track and recover vehicles. When the lights are on on the safety car, the car is in full safety car mode, that is to say it will be going round the track at a safe pace and all cars have to bunch up behind and there can be no overtaking whatsoever. Uh, and once the lights go off on the safety car, that is the indication that it will be returning to the pits at the end of that lap and then the driver will become the safety car effectively until they hit the go racing line. Uh, currently there is no virtual safety car in touring cars, we might see it in the future with the new sort of digital dashboard we're seeing in the racing cars so we do have a manual car that bunches the fields together and leads them around the circuit sometimes vehicles are recovered under double waved yellow sam will explain what a double waved yellow is in a moment um, and you'll probably hear us grumble throughout the year about why that is used over a safety car but that's basically the overview of what marshals do uh, what you'll see on the television doing uh, they basically try and keep the track clear and keep the drivers and spectators safe. Yes, certainly. You mentioned there that flags were involved. Um, there are a number of different flags that are used throughout a race weekend. Not just at the touring cars, you'll see them at pretty much any racing event that you may well attend. Uh, the main one, first of all, is probably the green flag. Um, this is to show that there is no issue on track. Um, vehicles are clear to race. So you'll get a green flag lap at the start of the touring car race, which is also known as a formation lap in other races, um, where the cars are trundling around, trying to warm their tyres up and trying to get some heat in them. Um, and green flags will be flown at each marshal point, or each flagging marshal point, should I say, uh, around the track to signify there are no issues. A quick question there. There are different types of marshal points. They're not all the flagging zones. Yes, they're not all flagging zones. Um, it is possible to run a race weekend with not all marshal posts covered, as long as you are able to visually see from one marshal post to another that are flagging. Um, you can then have those posts being covered as flagging posts and marshalling points. <coughs> Moving on then, if there is to be an issue on track, maybe a crash, maybe someone stopped or something that causes a danger to other drivers, a yellow flag is normally flown. And if there are marshals out on track to check on the condition of the car or the driver, then the double waved yellow is flown. So what's the difference between a yellow and a double waved yellow? What, so what, what does that signal to the driver? A double wave yellow signifies that you may need to stop on track um, because of the uh, danger that is ahead uh, and a single yellow either stationary or waved uh, is to signify that there is danger ahead that you need to slow down for. Yeah. So the fact of the difference between the two then is that one is slow down and two is slow down prepared to stop. Yes it is. Absolutely. Um, following on from that, if the incident is serious enough that the race needs to be stopped um, for either drivers to be recovered or vehicles to be re recovered, a red flag is flown. And all these um, coloured flags for this season going ahead um, will be shown up on a driver's dash. So they'll have a, a signified uh, coloured LED light on their wheel mm -hmm. um, to signify the flags that are being flown at certain points on the circuit. Uh, this is to stop racing immediately and make your way back to either the grid or the pit lane. That is down to the discretion of the race stewards. <coughs> Another flag that you're very likely to see at a race weekend, um, 
which comes to end the race is a black and white checkered flag. Almost guaranteed to see that. Yes, yes. Um, unless a race is stopped prematurely. True. Um, yeah, a checkered flag signifies the end of the race. Uh, and once you pass that point, you need to stop racing and make your way back to the pit lane because the race has finished. There's, what, probably four other ones you'll see? Yeah, I'm going to go through them all. So. Okay, fair enough. Um we see quite often a black and white flag. Hmm. Um, this is uh, a black black and white diagonal flag, should I say. This is to signify that the driving standards of a certain driver, normally a number shown on a board, um, is not of the standard that is expected. This could be something like possibly forcing another driver off the track, um, causing a collision... Uh, you could be exceeding the track limits. That's um, the most common one. In that is the most cars, common one in touring cars. Uh, at some tracks, we have certain areas where there are pressure pads to say that a car has run over track limits. Um, exceeding track limits can make you quicker, but also isn't allowed up to a certain point. There is there is some discretion on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a fairly fairly common one in the touring cars. Um, if the discretions get too bad and you have too many black and white flags you will then be shown a black flag which is a disqualification flag where you must return to the pits immediately um, there has been one or two in Turingo history like yeah not not many happen within the race normally a disqualification might be for yeah. um, I mean, stewards inquiry afterwards maybe the ride height as you mentioned may have been failed or something like that neat was disqualified from Thruxton yes in 2020 I want to say Gordon Shedden was shown a black flag once, and I can't, I can't remember if that's right or not. Yeah, so, it I, is. It is fairly rare. You yeah. normally get two or three warnings with a, a black and white flag um, to say that the driving standards aren't up to scratch, and you need to be careful for the rest of the race, basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we don't normally see a black flag. No, and I think about. It, I don't think there has been one shown in the race or a track flags. So I'm not sure. I can't remember. Um, that's right. Another flag that you may see fairly often at a touring car event is a black and orange flag so otherwise known as a meatball flag um, which is to signify that a certain vehicle has damage on it which is a possible danger to other drivers um, maybe they've had an accident or they've clipped a barrier or a set of tyres or something um, and the car needs to return to the pit lane and have the damage either repaired or the car to be retired or, or whatever makes the car safe again um, there have been some strange instances of this. Shedham, yeah. Shedham pops to mind. Yeah, with the wing at, was it Rockingham? With the wing hanging off, and he actually goes off track. It was at Snetterton. Yeah, that's right, and took it off himself on the tyre barrier. Takes it off himself on the tyre barrier, therefore it was off the car, not causing any more safety issues, and he was able to continue the race. But the majority of the time, cars would have to come back in and maybe have the car gaffer taped up, or or something else. Two more flags. <coughs> Two more flags. Um, there is a red and white stripy flag, um, which is to signify that the surface on track... Yellow. Red and yellow. What did I say? Red and white. I do apologise. A red and yellow stripy flag to signify that the track in the area head, um, there is either debris on it or um, something to make the surface not as grippy as it should be in the first yeah often oil instance. might be down yeah. so it's slippery oil yeah. or coolant or something yeah. like that or even for debris yeah um which is sometimes uh, one that we'll see maybe if a car's come out of the race and it's burst a radiator or something like that i can't remember the last time i've seen one of those at 
track. But they, they are yes. there, but I can't yes. remember the last time we've seen it in the touring cars. Um, and then the one that is probably, or a couple more, that are used less often in touring cars, you've got a blue flag to signify that there are slow cars ahead that you're about to lap, and that that lapped vehicle has fast cars behind it approaching that are looking to overtake. Um, when you're a lapped car, you are advised to get out of the way within three flagging points. Um, if not, you may then get a black and white flag to say you haven't been observing the rules. Yeah, because basically you're holding up faster cars, get yes. out of their way and let them pass. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there is also a white flag to signify a slow-moving vehicle on track. That may well be another competitor that has something broken on the car or something like that, and they're trying to limp it back to the pit lane. Or it may well be a service, service vehicle. Um, these are most notably to come out maybe when a safety car is out and there are recovery tracks or ambulances on circuit going to the location of the incident. That's comprehensive. I, th- I think that covers it all, doesn't it? I think so. I think so. So you mentioned that the black and white flag might be shown to advise of possible driving standards. Yes. And that can lead to penalties. <laughs> Plenty of them. So there are lots and lots and lots of examples how penalties might be given out and frankly we could be here until we are 42 so going through cows come home. Yeah, going through the various infringements, technicalities, forms to be filled out um, in place with the marshal uh, stewards etc. So I'm just going to cover a couple of the most common ones yep. which you can ex- probably expect to see at the season. So I think number one, being out of place on the st- uh, grid start, that might be overhanging your grid box or even sometimes lining up 17th when you should be 18th or, or stuff like that. Strange things happen like that maybe when someone hasn't been able to make the grid and yep. there's an empty grid slot and then you can get confused of where you're meant to be lining up. Now in Formula 1, as you've probably seen, the front wing often overhangs the front of the grid box. The wheels have to be behind the line. In touring cars, the car has to be behind the line. So mm. you're probably going to be at a little bit of leeway for the front splitter to be slightly over. Mm. But yeah, it, it very much depends on the race weekend and which stewards are there. But sometimes you do see them looking a good, almost couple of inches back behind their line, and you'll often see teams put tape on the grid wall, uh, which drivers can then use to line their wing rows up with, so they're behind the line because you can't obviously see the slot from your windscreen. Now, the front two are pulled in by marshals, so there's absolutely no excuse to be over the front if your place is one and two, because the marshals pull you into flags. Yeah. Uh, the rest is pretty much then on driver judgment, which is difficult. I, I'm amazed that there isn't a more technologically advanced system yeah. rather than tape on a pit wall. <laughs> but it, it works for the majority of them. We do see, I don't know, maybe five in a season yeah. of people getting penalties for... Sort of three in one race last year. Yeah, but um, for people being out of position. Yeah, and the penalty for that is typically a time penalty. Five seconds is normally added to your um, t- finishing race time. Yeah. Uh, a jump start, or otherwise known as a false start, is where you engage the car in a forward motion before the lights have gone out. So a race is started by five red lights coming on, or three depending on the track, but red lights are on, and when those red lights go out, you race. Yep. Um, there is no standard hold, so it could be a long hold or short hold. You have to react quickly, uh, and if you jump that start you'll be given a drive-through penalty most of the time, which means you have to come through the pit lane uh, and not stop, basically, for to do work. You just have to take a detour through the pit at some point. Mm. It might be served by a time penalty, but I think generally we've seen that is dealt with by a drive-through, yep. which obviously is difficult if you effectively ruin your race because you're going to have to, let's say, serve. Make a pit stop when 
normally in touring cars we don't have pit stops no um, unless there is radical weather change where you have to go onto a, a different type of tyre absolutely uh, this is a common expression you'll hear throughout the season you'll probably hear Tim Harvey uh, exclaim it most rounds oh that was a push to pass now this is where I mean Sam's going to come on to rules of engagement a little bit later on but there is an acceptable level of contact in the touring cars these aren't multi-million pound machines that you see in other racing disciplines a little bit of rubbing rubbing is racing racing is rubbing and you can expect to see a little bit of door knocking on between bumpers however if you push an opponent to get past i.e you ram them in the back it going into the corner which offsets their line or upsets their braking balance and you're able to push your way through uh, that's seen as too much and too far effectively yeah it's gaining an unfair advantage i think it's most notably known as um and that advantage is very much down to the discretion of the people that can see the data yeah um and some of the there may be process towards it um and if drivers are asked to switch positions back or stuff like that they can choose whether or not they want to do that and it may yeah. go to the race stewards after the race um, some drivers know when they've done it and they'll let the car back through some drivers may not and that's the key it, generally speaking if a driver airs on the side of caution and lets the p- car back through no further action will be taken because the marshals uh, sorry the stewards can see that the no, no lasting advantage has been held because you know the place reversed however if you want to argue out in the steward's office afterwards and quite often you want to because you never know particularly if it's a last lap move or something like that you might as well take the chance yep. uh, you'll normally have the places reser- reversed by a time penalty so say you finish three seconds in front they'll knock you 3.1 seconds off and reverse places you can sometimes also expect penalty points on your racing license and perhaps a fine depending on the severity of the the incident again a bit of discretion is used in the steward's room afterwards on this point uh, you may also get an official reprimand or a written warning or a verbal warning, again, depending on the severity of what you've done. There may also be grid penalties for following races, depending on, on how things finish. So if you do make a push-to-pass move early on in a race and then you go a few more positions yeah. on the driver that you push to pass, it's not so easy to swap positions then. Although I'd also suggest that if that happens, it's generally then ignored. Yes. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Uh, technical failure so this is where there's been a issue with the car in the post race checks so there is a prescribed ride height there is a prescribed weight uh, and there are other you know, technical infringements you can fall foul of so you must have the same four tyres on the car the wheel, wing, wing angles wing angles, and... wheel sizes PSI yeah. etc there's all kinds of bits and pieces and it's fairly cut and dry if you fall foul of any of the technical infringements without good reason which could be damage sustained in an impact in the race, for example, but apparently not if you go through lakes at Knock Hill. Uh, disqualification from the session <laughs> is what you can expect to be handed. Yeah. Um, it, it's fairly cut and dry. So there, you can argue mitigating circumstances if there has been a collision. Or even then, it's pretty difficult. It's to, cut and dry. It's pretty difficult to circumvent the rules, isn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, Cook last year at Silverstone, Silverstone took his front threw sp- it down the inside yeah, of. Uh, Butcher, Butcher and yeah. damaged his front splitter, failed the ride height check. Ingram and Sutton a few years ago at Knock Hill uh, lowered their ride height during the race, caused in their um, defences through racing through massive lagoons, uh, yep. puddles, and which damaged. Tire wear and. Yep. 
There are so so many different factors which could affect these things, and, yeah. and they're running the cars right on the limits to try and get the best advantage possible. So you see, at the end of a race, the front three in the pits, there'll be like a big lint roller that goes underneath the um, the car front, back, and sides. The roller has to pass unobstructed underneath uh, these parts of the car, otherwise it fails the ride height. Weight of the driver and of the car will be tested. Um, and then the calculation is used to how much fuel was in it at the start, how much did it use. Yeah, there's there's a there's an accepted weight loss from the start of the race to the end of the race, and but you can't fall foul of that. And let's say that the stewards then do technical uh, checks on the wing and whatnot. Was it Shedden last year who had the wing infringement yep. in qualifying? In qualifying. Yep, which put him disqualified from the session. So yeah, let's say that that's fairly cut and dry. Uh, collisions. Again, this is argued out in the steward room by teams arguing it out. Often they'll submit the claim as we saw perhaps most famously Sutton Sutton and yeah, his anger of Plato claiming afterwards that all the forms have already been submitted etc the stewards then look at who's at fault for the collision is there blame who's that blame on could it have been avoided is it a racing incident and then they'll uh, punish accordingly so you could have official reprimands it's almost warnings. like a little private court hearing yeah. for those sorts of things looking, looking to who's at blame and what the data suggests because the data may suggest something different to what the drivers believe happened. Absolutely, and so you'll see, you often see reprimands, fines, points on licenses, grid penalties, or in the case of danger, what they believe to be dangerous or unsportsman driving, um, disqualification from the event. Now, most recently, or this following occur- events. Following events. Now, most recently, this occurred with Andy Neat, who had an altercation with Carl Bordley at Thruxton in 2020. Mm-hmm. And was ultimately disqualified from that event afterwards. Yep. Um, in the eyes of the stewards, for dangerous driving. Yeah. I think that's pretty much the most common. I say there will be other ones throughout the season that come up, but unless you can think of any others, those were the ones I think are the most common. Yep, certainly are. So then, once we get into the race itself, obviously three across the across the weekend. There are sort of like do's and don'ts within, yeah, in the, in the race itself. Expected uh, behaviours. Yeah, and and we've talked about a few of these already with push to pass and that it, it's down to interpretation on certain things, um, and there are certain maybe even unwritten rules um, to go racing by. So generally, um, you can't crowd drivers off off the circuit you have to give them enough racing room um even if you want to push them off the circuit in certain circumstances you need to be able to give them normally a car's width to the edge of the circuit whether that be on the inside or the outside if someone's trying to overtake you or you're trying to defend um it's very much frowned upon if you're seen to be pushing people off circuit although i will say this is one of the series where holding your line is generally allowed, whereas in other sports it's not. If you've got a car so far around the outside, so down the inside, you're supposed to effectively let them through. You are basically allowed to hold your line as long as you don't yeah. start moving over. You 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 might hear the term um, B post used, which is normally the post that where the driver's door shuts to. Mm-hmm. If a driver is sort of like that much or more down the inside of you, you've got to give that driver racing room to try and take the line for that corner if they're further back than that then there's a little bit of a grey area as to whether you should be cutting them off for that corner or whether you should be allowing racing room or whatever I think the problem with the touring cars is that you 
often rely so much on late lunges mm. that it's, yep. you've not got the time. I'm thinking of Oliphant and Plato last year at um, Orne Park. Yep. Now, some people say Plato shouldn't make the lunge. Other people say Oliphant should leave him room. He's turned across him. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to go into who's to blame now. But, I mean, the point is it's such a late lunge. You don't have the thinking time to think, oh, is it my B post? And yeah. You know, which, is why, which is why I think there's a fair amount of leeway for contact in the sport. Yeah, there's very much... Because you're obviously you're in the heat of battle and you don't always take all these things into context. You're trying to defend your position or make up your position as best you can and as quickly as possible to try and get as far up the field as you can. So yeah, there will be some indiscretions that come in, um, but it's kind of accepted that sometimes that is just racing in this context. Yeah, and the way the touring cars runs, which makes it so different to F1, is that it's not unusual to have cars following each other for 20 laps mm. straight. You know. Generally, they can follow each other for the race, which means that generally, it's not unusual to go four, five, six abreast into a corner, particularly off the starting line. You, know, yep. you I mean, you think the run down to Paddock Hill Bend is mm. madness, yep. and it's accepted that it's going to be a bit of touching in this sport. Yeah, and sometimes even if if you're in a group of cars mm. and you're looking to get past the slowest car that's at the front, that's maybe holding these guys back, you'll have someone maybe three or four back in that group actually pushing the people in mm. front of them to give them that momentum to get through, yeah. which is called bump drafting. Um, and that sort of contact isn't really frowned upon. It's almost no. encouraged in some stages to try and help the group progress past this slower driver at the front that is perceived to be holding the rest of them up. And I think as well, because you often have those chains or concertina, which is the word yep. that's used a lot, you then get into braking trains where contact is almost inevitable because yep. people's braking points have to change quickly. So again, there are, or there is expected to be a level of contact is when it goes above and beyond what's you know, general acceptable level of contact where the, yeah, the, the stewards get involved. As you say, with those braking trains and Constantina in up, you will see some drivers tap an un, unloaded yeah. rear corner, which where you're turning into the corner, that rear wheel on the inside is normally maybe bouncing on the tarmac or not even touching the tarmac at all because of how stiff some of these cars are set up, that it could make the rear end of that car unstable um, with a little bit of a touch. Um, so yeah, the, the contact in the sport is kind of acceptable up to a limit and that very much depends on what weekend we're at, where we're at, who's stewarding, which drivers are racing against each other and stuff like that. Now there are certain more more fixed rules um, mm-hmm. that you have to adhere to to a race weekend. We're looking at tyre compounds and also tyres that are used throughout the weekend. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in the wet weather, you have a wet tyre compound which is grooved um, that will be used to clear water off the circuit. Now, different to F1, there's no intermediate to wet. It is slick or wet or dry or wet. There is no difference between the two. Yeah, and unfortunately, nowadays, you're not allowed to run both compounds together, which I I distinctly remember in the, the older days... Yeah, in quotes. Wets on the front, sticks on the back, or vice versa. Yeah, yeah where yeah. you'd be able to get, maybe if you were in a front-wheel drive car and it was slightly damp, you'd be able to get that grip of yeah. that wet tyre working, yeah. and then on the back you'd have a little bit of looseness to be able to um, get you around the circuit. But yes, that is frowned upon nowadays. You can only use the same compound at the same time. Um, and they've also been looking at the use of soft and hard compound tyres throughout race weekends. Now, there have been changes with this, and also changes within qualifying for this as well. Yeah. Um, 
that can bring an interesting amount of strategy into it. Um, and going for the season ahead, for the majority of the rounds there will only be the medium tyre, apart from Thruxton where there will be a harder compound because of the amount of strains and stresses that the fastest circuit in Britain yeah. um, puts on those tyres where we've seen in past so many issues with punctures and stuff on, on loaded oh, rear and front front wheels. It was iconic wasn't it yeah yeah it was basically being of how many punctures today although it, it is worth pointing out again you do get a fair amount of punctures throughout the season can do on these tyres and there is a fair bit of tyre management that is needed yep yep certainly um so yeah i think those those are the main rules of racing and rules of engagement that are used throughout a race um yeah and it can make for some really entertaining and some really good racing, especially when you've got drivers that are slow, so closely matched on pace. Um, or maybe even drivers who are really up on pace, but they've had a bad qualifying or a bad yeah. previous race, and they're back through the field and they're trying to fight through. Um, traffic and problems like that can really cause a problem. I suppose two of the things to say on that is that weaving on the straights, unless you're in the safety car, yeah. not encouraged, and don't move in the braking zone. Yes. Yeah. I kind of, I don't know, yeah, I I put that under not forcing people off track, but yeah, it's very much frowned upon, if you're moving in the braking zone, people very much don't like it. Um, Anyway then, moving on, season ahead, we have a new hybrid system. We do. Um, And we'll take a look at that next. So then, moving into a brand new era of the touring cars, um, a hybrid era. This will be the first season that we will have seen um, hybrid engines used and hybrid setups used in the British touring cars. Um, we have new uh, engine providers for this season in the form of M Sport and Cosworth will be the technical par- partners uh, helping to... Well, they've been helping to develop the hybrid system and we're helping to maintain it across the system. Now, in recent, um, in the last week or two, um, there has been a wonderfully helpful video released from on the BTCC website which explains brilliantly how the BTCC hybrid system will be used for the season ahead and we will let you listen to that now. The British Touring Car Championship is starting a new chapter. For the first time in the championship's history, the cars will be powered by hybrid technology. All the cars on the grid will be provided with the same hybrid element from Cosworth that is integrated with the X-Track gearbox. Teams then have the option to use the Toker engine developed by M-Sport or develop their own engines prescribed by the 2022 regulations. The Cosworth hybrid element is comprised of a 48 volt battery located on the floor of the car in place of the ballast box, a motor controller or inverter, the motor generator unit, also known as an MGU, and two cooling systems. One for the MGU and motor controller, the other is used to cool the battery. The entire system is controlled by the car's ECU, the Cosworth Antares 8, which is provided to all teams as a spec component. Now let's look at how the system works. We'll start with energy deployment. The driver is in control of when they choose to deploy the energy via a button on the steering wheel. When the deployment button is pressed, a signal is sent to the ECU, enabling the motor controller to use power from the battery via the DC connection. The motor controller switches this power into AC over three phases through the motor, which in turn creates positive torque, supplying the gearbox with the maximum power available. 
The motor generator unit is an axial motor configuration. The stator, where the three-phase AC current is delivered, is in the centre of the MGU and is fixed in its position. The rotor is on the outside and directly connects to the X-Track gearbox input shaft on a one-to-one -one ratio. When the clutch is engaged, it will spin as fast as the engine, which has a rev limit of 7,000 RPM. The system also works in reverse. During braking, the ECU activates the generator function of the MGU. Three-phase current is then sent back to the motor controller, which in turn converts the AC current into DC, which is fed back to the battery, charging it up, ready for the next deployment. So that was the audio from the video produced by Cosworth uh, and available on the BTCC website and on YouTube. Uh, so as I say, that's been produced by Cosworth. And if you want to go see the pictures that accompany the audio, head over to YouTube or the BTCC website. Uh, and also on the BTCC website is a copy or basically a PDF guide outlining the basic use of the system. So you might want to refer to that throughout the race weekend should you... Um, yeah, feel you a little bit overwhelmed by the new system. Yeah, so the new system overall, there's a, a good explanation of it done by Dan Lloyd um, so far. He's got a video up on YouTube at DLR TV, um, which is his own YouTube channel where he shows um, sort of like how how it can be used and where it can be used on a lap. And in his own words, how to use it and how not to use it. <laughs> yes, in his own words, so. yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the couple of key things about it is that it can only be used over 120 k's an hour, which is about 75 miles an hour. Yep. It can then be activated. Um, and it can be up to 15 seconds per lap per car. It also uses a regenerative system, which was talked about in the audio clip there, where under braking it can charge up the battery packs, um, and when the throttle is also let off, it can charge up the battery packs for the next lap, basically. Um, going into this year, I, I don't know how many issues we're going to see with it. I don't know whether we're going to see maybe hybrid systems failing, whether we're going to have electronics failing because of it, maybe heating issues or overheating issues there are cooling packs separately for the kinetic energy recovery system and also the battery pack that is used um, the battery pack is now located where the ballast box used to be in the passenger um, where the passenger seat would be in a normal everyday car um, so it'll be interesting to see whether there'll be any technical gremlins with it i mean it's always guaranteed to be yes because it's a new system and these things take time to learn it's whether are we going to see it affect the title contenders that we have in the F1? Or are we going to see it a bit more, depending on who's you know, who's managed to get to grips with it quickest, I guess? Yeah, um, and going into the season ahead, it's also going to be used in replacement for the ballast weighting that we had in previous seasons, um, which was attributed to drivers in the championship that were highest going down to... Uh, 10th? 15th? 10th. 10th in the championship. So the driver who was topping the championship would have to run either 66 or 75 kilos of ballast extra on their car as almost like a penalty for being in the lead to try and keep the championship as competitive as possible yep. for as many drivers as possible. Now this is going to be changed out for the amount of hybrid that you can use in seconds per lap in qualifying and throughout the race. Now in qualifying, if you... Um, are lower than 10th in the championship, you'll be able to use the full 15 seconds per lap. 
going from 10th to 1st will be then incrementally reduced by 1.5 seconds per position. So 10th will only have 13.5 seconds, 5th will only have 6 seconds, and if you're in first position in the championship, you won't be able to use any hybrid in qualifying. Now, for the race, this will be laps without the hybrid system in place. So, depending on how long the circuit is and how many laps there are, um, this also changes as to whether we have safety car laps. If there are safety car laps, there's a maximum of three added on. Um, and you'll find that out throughout the season. So, depending on the length of the circuit, it also depends on how many laps there are. But if there's less than 17 laps, laps without hybrid, the first place from the previous race, it gets very complicated. We'll only get 10 laps, or only get 7 laps, or less, with hybrid. And then that changes as you go down, it'll be 9, 8, 7, 6, all the way down to 10th, and then... 11th over that you'll get hybrid for all the laps and then over 17 laps that changes from 15 to 13 11 and so on there is a full pdf file of this on the btc website as russ has already mentioned um because i i appreciate that i'm not even sure the drivers know fully how it's going to work i yet. think this is this is very much something we have to get used to seeing how it works i mean drs sounds <coughs> a lot more complicated than it ended up turning out to be yes I think this might be one of the same things, but I think it's going to be much easier to see it work in process than reading it off a piece of paper, personally. I just think that we need to see it in, in action. But Some, yeah. Something of note from Dan Lloyd's video is that there is a little uh, a blue light on the dashboard um, to signify when you're allowed to or when you can use the hybrid. So you can't just come out of the, a corner and press the hybrid button because you may not necessarily be above the threshold or timing or speed sorry to be able to use it so it's going to be interesting um and i think we've already speculated that some of the shorter tracks you may be coming out of slow corners and you may not be able to get up to the speed where you need to be until you may be halfway down the straight yeah there's going to be some tactical use of it throughout the season as well which i think i think the line's already been trodden out that some of the more cleverer drivers will be able to use it more effectively depending on um, yeah, yeah, particular ins and outs of that race. So I think that pretty much sums up the hybrid stuff. As I say, it is not simple. So no. do we're we're not fully up to speed on it. No, so do go and check out. As I say, the, the video mentioned above, which we took the audio from uh, on the Cosworth and BTC pages, and do go and look at the uh, PDF because that's probably your best starting point. And just hopefully, as the season goes on, we'll all get. Of it. Yeah, in the description of the podcast we'll also tag where you can best find that video and also the PDF file that explains it all. Absolutely. So we're almost at the end of the guide. So there's only one real other aspect to talk about and that is the support races. So if you go to a British touring car event or watch at home, you're not just treated to three races of the touring cars, you're also treated to the support package. Now this is often where you'll see Sometimes younger drivers coming through, or often stalwarts who don't want to race or in the touring cars any any longer, want but want to carry on racing. Uh, so the five main ones you will be seeing this year is Mini Challenge UK. That can sometimes be a variety of disciplines. This is about a thousand different um, mini <laughs> championships. Yeah. Um, but drivers, a key driver to perhaps look out for that is Dan Zelos, um, who won it last year and is certainly on the radar of a lot of British touring car teams. Yeah. Uh, 
Accelerate also run minis in that division, and I believe Team Hard do as well. Yeah. So uh, you may see some common uh, sponsorship and common liveries. Giletta Juniors, this is where you'll see the younger drivers. You've got to be 17 or less to race in this competition. They're basically souped-up go-karts, effectively, with tin tops on. Uh, famous sort of drivers that come through this model include Lando Norris, Senna Proctor... Uh, you know, although how he fitted in one, I have Sutton, no idea. Sutton, Ash Sutton, Sutton one. yeah, you know. So that's basically keep an eye out there because it's likely ten years time you'll see a driver that was in there in a big motorsport division elsewhere. Yep. You've then got the Genetta GT4 Super Cup. This is basically the big Genettas, the powerful Genettas. Michael Kreese came through this category of racing. Um, I think he's probably the most yep. obvious of recent times. Uh, Formula 4 British Championship. Now, this is the only single-seater we have on the BTC calendar. Uh, that's gone through a change this year. It's being powered by Arbath rather than Ford. Um, but again, you'll see big names come through here, including Ash Sutton and Dan Kamish are both racing in this division. And I yeah, believe... Dan, Dan Kamish raced in a slightly different format okay, yeah. when it used to be Formula Ford, but it, it yeah. eventually it... morphed into what it is now. Yeah, exactly that. Uh, and Zach O'Sullivan, who is now in the F, threes gb3 gb3 was in this division last year so yep. it's again it's a starting point for young drivers looking to pursue single seater careers uh, has any current f1 driver come through that nothing jumps to mind no but it's it's certainly a formula of where older drivers the likes of jensen button coulthard even senna used to do this sort of stuff yeah in different iterations absolutely yep. and finally you've got perhaps the fastest and potentially most exciting depending on who's on the roster at uh, the Porsche Carrera Cup GB now generally these are actually quicker than the touring cars um, Dan Kamish has come through this division you've also got uh, Kieran Dewis um, not Lewis Plato uh, Harry King was in this division he's now moved on to do uh, the Porsches that follow the F1s around yeah and Lorca Hannafin Lorca Hannafin is in this division as well Josh Cagle who's been in the touring cars for Team yep. Hard is in this division uh, and that's split into amateur, pro-amateur and pro. So there's different classes of racing all in one race and generally last season was really exciting. It the was. Wasn't it? it was a really good season in the Carrera Cup. Yeah, there were, there were four, maybe five drivers that you could see taking a win at any different weekend yep. um, and it was a really competitive championship last year. So fingers crossed for another one this year. Yep. So that pretty much sums up the supports to say they race some race on Saturdays or they have some races on a Saturday but there'll be at least or normally at least depending on timetabling one race from each division mentioned on the Sunday and therefore trackside or on the TV and they help break up the, the touring cars basically then generally speaking it's good racing across the field yes very much so um, I hope that we've covered everything that you feel you need to know um, if there are any other questions that you want to know, by all means, don't hesitate to ask. Um, we're more than happy to answer on social media. Um, just drop us a message on there, on Instagram, on Facebook, whichever you find easiest. Um, and we'll try to help you out with an answer as best as possible. Um, we'll be back just before uh, Donington this weekend with a preview pod for what you would expect to see at Donington Park drivers that we think might be on top of their game looking towards the start of the season um and yeah we hope you've enjoyed it we hope you've learned at least one thing um and that you 
come out of it knowing a little bit more than you did at the start. And as of all these things, the more you watch, the more you'll uh, get up to speed. Yeah. Um, we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks. Bye. Remember to subscribe, follow and also share our podcast for more touring car updates. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook by just searching for BTCP, British Touring Car Podcast. And you can also contact us there or on our email at btccpod at gmail.com. 